This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, August 10th, 2022 edition. I am Justin Klein, and I look forward to this hour with you addressing your finance and investment questions. And as always, the phone number, it does not change. It's 888 chart You can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Leave a message. We will answer it on a future show. Or if you're listening during our live stream program, four to five Pacific time each and every weekday, you can always call and talk to us live. Either way, it's the same number, 888 chart Now, I've got an action-packed podcast for you today, and my focus point today concerns the headline, the top central bankers say the Fed is far from done. And I'm going to dig into this because that's this is the big headline. This is out of Fortune, uh, a very common publication. And I need to really get into the details of how the future policy will impact markets. Because that's ultimately what we want to know, how it will impact markets, how it will impact the economy as a whole. Now, Time permitting, I have some other ones on the docket as well. One is valuations have come in. We've seen valuations drop, especially on those bigger, growthier names, the more expensive part of the market. Uh, and the big question is, has it come down enough? Has it come down enough to mark some sort of great buying opportunity? So we're going to look at that. Also, there's some major errors when it comes to Equifax and its credit score uh, earlier this year. How does that impact, could potentially impact you? And what do you do if you suspect your credit score is incorrect? And then lastly, the digital dollar, central bank digital currency, CBDCs, and the U.S. And what steps are being taken right now? to go further down that path of a U.S. dollar-backed CBDC. So we're going to look at that. Now, I see some caller question, voice bank questions ready to play, and it looks like we might get to the question about buying foreign stocks and about apps, APPS Digital Turbine. So I've got all that planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and of course, I'll take your live calls at 888-99-CHART. Now let's take a look at the market today. It was a very bullish day and a bit of a breakout, certainly above a crucial resistance level that we had been consolidating at for most of uh, the last week, week and a half. And that likely means we're headed higher. Uh, looks like it wants to attack the 200-day moving average on the S&P and the downtrend line from the peak back in January. 
And so the big question is, what, uh, how far does this, does this market rally have? Uh, now, the inflation number came out today, and that was slightly better than had been expected. The expectation was 8.7%, a deceleration in growth of, the, uh, of inflation. But it was a bit lower than that, 8.52. So not a huge difference, but certainly something that pointed is pointing the market to a Fed policy that is a little less hawkish, which we're going to get into uh, later in the um, later in the show. But ultimately, what happened was the odds of a 75 versus 50 basis point hike in September flipped from kind of 65, 35 in favor of a 75 basis point cut, uh, increase. And now it's kind of flips uh, 65, 35 in favor of a 50 basis point increase. Uh, and so that certainly helped the market. The dollar was weaker. Interest rates were down a bit. And overall was a, a bullish day. And uh, the, the volatility index was down. And so continue to work off this oversold uh, market environment on like a weekly basis from a sentiment perspective and incrementally getting more bullish overall. Uh, doesn't mean we're going to go to new highs, but certainly near term, uh, more upside looks in the cards. Now let's get to our first caller question right now. Hello, Steve or Justin. Love the show. I'm a long time listener now. Okay, so I had a question for you. Digital Turbine, APPS. There's uh, another podcast I listen to when I've gone through all yours first, and they highly recommend this one. So I put it on my watch list. Um, if you could take a look at it and let me know if it's a good thing for future growth, I'd appreciate it. Bye. All right, looking at Digital Turbine, and it developed mobile software that enables mobile content distribution and transactions and earnings are expected to fall uh, in the coming year, 13%, and then go up 22% the following year. Uh, but both of those expectations continue to come down. So that's one issue that I have here. Now, modest debt levels, which is good. It trades at about a three times price to sales. That's pretty good. Enterprise value EBITDA, about 15. So, you know, certainly not egregious anymore. Uh, and but its growth growth continues to slow slow in a dramatic fashion. Last quarter revenues were up only nineteen percent and earnings up twelve percent. Whereas a year ago revenues were up one hundred and sixty eight percent and earnings were up one hundred and sixty two percent. So what you're seeing is a leveling out of of growth and and uh, and earnings. And once again, earnings expectations are expected to fall. And that's what worries me. Um, and another issue here is that it is uh, very tied to the ad market, okay? And that's something uh, I'm not a big fan of. That uh, you know, the ad market is is certainly slowing. Um, now, is it a much better value than it was at its all-time high, around uh, ninety-four dollars per share? It's down seventy-five percent uh, since then. Yes, it is. Um, but technically. I'm not seeing anything that's getting me overly excited. This bounce, frankly, has been fairly weak. Uh, it's gone from about 15 now to the, the low 20s, uh, still below its 100-day moving average, and even the earnings uh, didn't really spark it higher. And so I'm 
passing on digital turbine for now. I don't see the technicals really lining up. The fundamentals are just slowing too dramatically for me to be paying uh, an above market multiple. So certainly interesting name on its wa on my watch list. Um, you know, in the low teens, I'd probably pick it up, makes a double bottom, I'd probably pick it up, but um, not here at 23. Thanks for the call. 888.99 chart, 888.992.4278. Let's go to Fu in Ohio, wants to ask about Tesla. Hey, Justin, how you doing? Doing well. I have uh, a lot of Tesla shares, and uh -huh. I know that you think that it's a overvalued it's a uh, stock that is a story stock, uh -huh. but I beg to differ just because I have two cars myself, uh -huh. and I also have, they have AI, they uh -huh. have um, insurance, uh -huh. they have charging, they uh -huh. have solar, they have energy. So I guess my take is it's like five, six companies that are combined into one mega stock that I think uh -huh. you think is overvalued. So I just want to see what you your opinion is on that. Yeah, I mean, I still think it's overvalued. Uh, most of uh, their, their their cash, though, they're not making money off of their cars. Um, they're well, they making are. a lot of money they have off 18 of... They billion dollars in cash. They yeah, because they're, issuing, cash. they're issuing a lot of yeah. shares. <laughs> their shares okay. outstanding are now at a billion. A billion shares outstanding. Uh, 10 years ago, that was at 528 million shares outstanding. So they've doubled their share count over the last 10 years. So if they were that successful, then why do they need to continue to issue more and more shares each and every quarter? And the reason is, is because it's just not a very successful business uh, when it comes to selling cars. Uh, now they're good at getting EV credits and, and subsidies and things like that. Um, and, and, and certainly that's, that's good as long as those carbon credit prices continue to go up and they're able to uh, capitalize on government subsidies. Sure. Um, but you're, you know, I still stand by the fact that the auto industry is very competitive. It's a very low margin, highly capital intensive business. And that's also very cyclical. Um, and you're already seeing that recently uh, across the board um, and Tesla's, uh, you know, their, their growth has certainly slowed uh, recently as well. So, you know, I still think it's egregiously overvalued at nearly a trillion dollars in, in value. Um, and so, you know, you can disagree with me, um, but ultimately I, I still stand by that still drastically overvalued and, you know, Elon continuing to kind of get a little more political and the Twitter thing. Uh, I, I don't think that's healthy for the company or the image long term. Uh, I talked before about how the average Tesla uh, or EV uh, buyer was more apt to buy a, a Tesla um, before Elon's whole Twitter and calling himself a Republican. And that alienated a lot of EV buyers, about 15 percent of the market. Uh, of EB buyers are now looking elsewhere besides Tesla. So, you know, as he becomes continually more divisive, uh, that's certainly going to weigh on the brand as well. So that's my take on Tesla, and I would certainly be selling. Now we're heading into a break, and I welcome your finance and investment questions now. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda. So I'm here for you. So give us a call on Invest Talk at 888 chart 
Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. got a portfolio to grow and protect so get your finance and investment questions together and call steve peasley and justin klein they're ready with their unbiased answers invest talk 888-99-CHART hey guys how's it going man i just want to say i love the show i had a question for you guys so i'm looking at a REIT. it is called Prologis. the ticker symbol is pld just wondering, wanted to get you guys' opinion on it, you know, manufacturing and stuff, back, you know, stateside. Wonder if this would be a good company to get into. If you think it's a good investment and, you know, what would it be an ideal buying point for you guys? Thanks. Just let me know on the next show. Appreciate it. All right. Looking at Prologis, and this is one of the largest industrial warehouse REITs in the U.S. And has about a $100 billion market cap. And they did very, very well during the COVID shutdowns because the demand for demand for uh, warehouses were very, very high. Uh, and I know this firsthand. I, I have a very good friend that uh, runs a distribution 3PL company uh, out of Ohio and worked with companies like uh, Shopify, etc. And I talked to him very regularly about how demand is and, and all that. And uh, he didn't have enough room uh, about a year, year and a half ago. And he every shelf was, was taken up. Now he has 30% of his warehouse that is open. And, you know, he could certainly add more customers. So a lot of this has to do with the, the shift in demand for goods services over goods. We've talked about that, how that's uh, kind of riding, um, riding the ship, um, going back to pre-COVID uh, trends. And, you know, that's why I would think that this is likely to reverse a lot of the, the COVID gains. And it already has uh, to some degree, uh, but it has bounced. So it went from 175 all the way down to one, let's see, with a low 106, now bounced to 134. Um, but it's below the 100-day moving average. And historically, it trades at an enterprise value to EBITDA um, eh, probably close to the, the mid to high teens. Now it's at 20. Um, so overall, I think I would be patient on it. I think it's still a bit overvalued. Uh, I would be uh, a buyer if it gets back below 100. Uh, that's when I would pick up uh, Prologis, PLD. Now it's at 137. Now we're heading into a break. Ban from Idaho. Hang on. You'll be next on Invest Talk at 888 99 Chart. 
the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. We're going to head out to Ohio and talk to Van looking at Caterpillar. The owner looking to buy it. Um, looking to buy it. Actually, I'm calling from Idaho. Oh, Idaho. What did I say? Did I say Ohio? Idaho? Ohio. Sorry. Yes, Idaho. Excuse me. <laughs> I misread it on my screen. At any rate, I was thinking that uh, Caterpillar hits a, a bunch of topics for me. It's used in mining. It's used in agriculture. It's used in oil and infrastructure. And it's down like 13% for the year, and it's down 20% from its high this year in April. Yeah, uh, I think I, I kind of echo that sentiment. I like the diversity of their business. You're right. It is used in mining. It is used in the energy space. It is used in agriculture. And it's used in the transportation and construction uh, industries. Now, the construction industry is probably the one that has the biggest headwind near term as you know, higher interest rates and um, lack of demand for office buildings are, are going to probably hit parts of that market. But it's pretty well diversified. It's also very global, so globally diversified. And, you know, the strong dollar, that probably hurts it a, a, a bit, um, having those foreign currencies and uh, most of their their products are probably uh, produced here. Um, so, you know, I think there are some near-term headwinds that longer term are probably going to be more like tailwinds, like you said, uh, directed towards infrastructure, for example. I do think that the next big uh, economic crisis is going to be met with government spending on more particularly infrastructure. And I think that would be, uh, Caterpillar would certainly benefit from that. And just simply demand for mining and, and energy uh, assets and, and agriculture is, is going to keep that relatively steady. Uh, it's trading, I would say, modestly undervalued, not dramatically so, but modestly so. Uh, our value is closer to uh, $200 per share, and now it's at 190 So I don't think it's drastically undervalued, but I, I like those tailwinds that you that you speak of, Van. Sounds good. I sure appreciate it and love your show. No problem. Thanks for calling and uh, good luck with it. And uh, I, I always like to see bread and butter real businesses that uh, that produce cash flow and dividends. Uh, and aren't just about uh, the story. And this is certainly one of those steady growers and steady businesses and, and a great American business. So I love it. Now let's turn my focus point and it concerns the story behind this headline. A top central banker says the Fed is far from done. And they're really pointing to San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly and suggests that a 50 basis point increase isn't locked in at the next Fed meeting. But she also said, this was on CBS's Face the Nation, that need to be data dependent. And this echoes what Jerome Powell said really at the last Fed meeting and that they were open and flexible. 
And although the jobs report last Friday, and this was kind of on the heels of that, uh, the, the, the jobs report, that it would, there was assumption that there'd be a 75 basis point increase at the next meeting. And then basically Powell kind of walked that back that you can't assume that. And that's why the market is kind of vacillating between those two potential outcomes for the September meeting. But let's back up a little bit and talk about how those Fed hikes are going to feed into markets. Um, because a lot of people say, oh, the Fed raised rates and that's suddenly going to do X, Y, and Z. Uh-uh. This is somewhat priced in. Now, once again, is it 50 or 75 basis points? That's not, that's not certain yet. That's not priced in. But minimum 50 basis points is priced in. Okay. So basically, let's call it five and a half or two and a half. Uh, you know, let's call it let's call it 60 ish basis points are priced in. So if they do 50, that's a positive surprise If they do 70 basis points, 75 basis points. That's a negative surprise. Okay, but there's a lot of economic data yet to come. And that's why I don't think the markets are underneath the surface. Yes, the, the equity markets moved. But you look at the dollar, you look at interest rates, they didn't move a whole lot. And in fact, they reversed a lot of the morning uh, move. And that's because we have a jobs number and we have another inflation number coming out before the next Fed meeting. So our, is, is the Fed going to really look too much at this, uh, this inflation number if the next inflation number is an acceleration from that 8.5 rate? Probably not. Okay, so that's what's going to be most important is what are the most recent data points saying about the economy, saying about inflation overall. And that will instruct them on how to proceed in the September meeting and then also indicate what's going to happen in the back half of the year, right? Past September. I think they have two more meetings in, I believe it's going to be early November and then December. Uh, 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 for the for the balance of the year after September. And so they're certainly going to guide on those meetings as well. Uh, and so that's what's most important. And that's why you see the market move based on this economic data, because the Fed is now data dependent. And you need to take them at their word. And the market is taking them at their word. And this is not a shock that the uh, CPI number, number came in a little bit lower than expected. Why? Because the PMI figure, the prices paid index last week, also had a big drop, and that's usually a leading indicator. Now we're heading into a break, so I'm ready to take your calls live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. On the next Invest Talk, the story behind this headline. A new report shows that on rare days, the market rises as much as 5 to 10%. Now, this is from a Wells Fargo analyst looked at the best 20 days for the S&P 500 between August 1992 and July of this year, and almost half occurred during a bear market, half of these big up days. So we're going to look at that story tomorrow. But now let's pivot over to the InvestTalk Voice Bank for a call that came in earlier on 888-99-CHART. How's it going, Stephen? Justin, this is Aaron from Virginia. I'm a longtime listener and also fortunate to have you guys managing my portfolio and I appreciate everything you guys do. So my question is in regards to the stock market as a whole. I'll hear people say things like the stock market is not tied in with the economy. The stock market is manipulated or the stock market, this is something that you guys like to say, is forward leaning. Now, when people say the stock market, is the stock market, obviously I know it's a a group of stocks from companies that have gone public, but the stock market when it comes to it being controlled, is it controlled by a select group of people that get unfiltered data 
you know, better than what most of us get, you know, better than the data that you guys would get to tell you the valuation of stocks. Uh, do they get that and they can know what the future brings or is the stock market controlled more by a computer software program to where that data is input into it and it knows what to do with the future. And also, as far as people saying the market is manipulated, who would be the people that or thing that can manipulate the market? You know, for example, I'll hear someone talk about a QQQ and it'll shoot up and someone will say, there's no volume to this. This is manipulation. Is that a software algorithm uh, that shoots it up based on something that was input by a person? Or is that just something random that happens? I don't know if this question makes sense, but it's just something I always wondered, you know, is a stock market run by people or run by kind of a computer? That's my question. Thank you guys. All right. Long question, uh, but let me try to unpack it uh, piece by piece. Now, is the stock market manipulated? Uh, at times, it can be, uh, especially around things like option ex dates um, or option expiration, where there are large institutions that are, you know, have big books of options on their um, on their balance sheet. And if they can get a particular stock to a certain price, then those options are going to expire worthless. And it makes sense for them to try to manipulate that stock over the short term in order to um, play those option X games. So those things on a short term basis certainly do happen. Okay. Uh, now, the market shooting up on low volume that doesn't necessarily mean that it is uh, market manipulation. It could simply be, hey, there weren't a lot of sellers at those prices. I see that. Uh, I have a bar on my charts. I actually talked about this today on the office hours. Was uh, at certain prices, there are there's a lot of people that have transacted at the, that that price, and if it market goes up into that level, it meets a lot of sellers because people are breaking even. They're selling. Uh, and then it typically will consolidate. That happened recently. Um, with this last week, it's consolidated an area where there's a lot of volume. And then once we get above that area, there's a lot less volume at that price. And it can easily slice through that level because there aren't a lot of sellers, because there are not a lot of people that transacted at those prices. And it can easily go up to that next level where uh, there, there were a lot of um there were a lot of transactions. So just because the stock goes up on light volume doesn't mean that it is manipulation. Okay. Now, those are kind of short term things. Yes, there are algorithms that are built by humans. So there's a human behind it, ultimately, um, that can, you know, look for news events and trade based on it. Uh, but those aren't really manipulation. That's just more speculation. And so what a lot of people confuse as, uh, as manipulation has more to do with speculation. Now, when it comes to governments and, say, central banks, are they manipulating the market by manipulating interest rates? And I would say yes. You know, when you're changing the price of money and manipulating the price of money by doing QE and a QT and, 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 and changing your balance sheet size and, and really trying to massage those interest rates, well, that does feed into the broader economy and the equity markets. 
So could you say they're manipulating them indirectly? Absolutely. I, I would say I would say that um, because nothing is more important to the financial market, to the overall economy than the price of money. Um, but overall, you know, what I say, the stock market is manipulated. Uh, no, not not in general, not over the long term. Uh, it goes up and down over the long term based on based on earnings, based on growth of the economy as a whole. Okay, so I know you had a long question. That was kind of a long answer, but hopefully I addressed it all. Now, speaking of longer term, let's touch on the most expensive versus the least expensive stocks in the market. Now, obviously, valuations have come down, especially for the most expensive pocket of the market. And at its peak, the most expensive 25% of the S&P was trading at about six and a half, six and uh, two thirds times book, times book value, which was higher than what you saw during the dot-com bubble of 2000 when it peaked a little over six times book. Now that has certainly come down. Now we're trading at about five and a half times book. And the big question is, how is that cheap enough? Is that cheap enough? Now, a reset in valuations is simply so far not on the same scale as in previous market downturns. Like I said, from the November peak, it went from uh, 6.68 to 5.56 times, the priciest 25% of the S&P. And that's still only slightly lower than where we were at the extremes in the dot-com bubble. Think about that. And the spread over the cheapest 25% of the S&P 5 stocks, which usually compresses in a big way during a recession or market, great market, you know, bear markets, is still at 3.3 times. Now, for context, in 2009, the most expensive part of the market traded at 1.6 times book, and the cheapest traded at 0.85 times book. So when we bottomed, that spread was only a little over one. Now it's at 3.3, okay? And historically, the 2003 bottom, the cheapest uh, quartile, bottomed at about 1.5 times book, and the most expensive bottomed a little under three times book. So that spread was uh, roughly one and a quarter. So when that gets down to one, one and a quarter, one and a half, that's when you can see, I think, more sustained bottoms. But so far, there's still a lot of compression for there to go on the, the most expensive stocks. That's why I say we're still in the early innings of value over growth because those value stocks are typically those bottom quartile companies in the, within the S&P. And can they go down in value in a bear market? Sure, but probably not nearly as much as that top quartile, which likely is to fall another roughly 50% from here probably before it ultimately bottoms, but that can take multi years. So it's not something that's gonna to happen tomorrow and uh, valuation is typically a very poor timing mechanism, very poor because things can get more overvalued and they can get more undervalued. But you can see that that pendulum has started to shift, but we're not all the way over to the other side. We're not even really in the middle yet. We're still moving the other direction and it's likely some time before you get that spread to tighten enough to get a sustainable bottom longer term. There comes another voice bank question, this time from a listener in Denmark. 
Hello, Investor. I have a question about uh, buying foreign stocks. Since since I'm from Denmark, uh, my name is Janik. Uh, whenever I buy American stocks, which I like for various reasons, I, I have to pay um, twelve dollars for the purchase fee. Up to around four thousand dollars, I can buy for this amount. Do you think this is uh, too much to pay for one? Uh, a purchase uh, of a stock. I'd like to hear your opinion because it's uh, a lot of um, in the long run for me. Uh, thank you. Bye. Well, that all that all depends on the what twelve dollars is in relation to the size of the investment. If it's twelve dollars for a hundred dollar investment, obviously that's twelve percent of that hundred dollars. If it's a thousand dollars, it's one point two percent. If it's ten thousand dollars, it's point one two percent. So twelve dollars. Oh, it's only in relation to the size of your investment overall. Now, obviously, there's a lot of great companies here in the U.S., but there's great companies in Denmark as well. So, uh, and I would imagine there's also some ADRs there where you can get access to foreign companies on the Denmark exchanges potentially. So, I would I would look at that. Um, but you know, is it worth it? You know, if you're if you're not trading a lot and you're more of a long term holder and you want access to the great U.S. companies that likely have good long-term potential, then $12, if it's a big investment, is nothing. Uh, it's a very small percentage. So all is about the percentage of the overall investment. Thanks for the call. Now here comes, uh, actually, I'll bet uh, that a lot of people are amazed on how the investment environment has changed over the past year. Uh, and it's evolving once again over the really the past six weeks. So the big question is, now that inflation has peaked, what are the risks? What are the opportunities in the market? And is your portfolio aligned so that you can take advantage of short, medium, and long-term trends? Well, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, where we operate with the same unbiased guidance, both on and off air. And we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio, free portfolio view assessment via telephone or go to meeting to send us a message through investtalk.com or call 888-99-CHART. Sorry, 800-557-5461. That's our office line, excuse me, in Irvine, California. We'd love to help you in any way. And the sooner you contact us, the sooner we can help you get your portfolio optimized. Now, next up, another caller question. So hang on. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin, thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Your rating is a vote of confidence that leads to higher visibility and causes more people to discover and listen to Invest Talk. So please tell your friends and family members about the free Invest Talk downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Remember to include your brief question when you review and rate on iTunes. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24 7. Don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. 
Hi, my name is Paige calling from California. I'm hoping Justin can help explain a complicated ETF I got myself into that I don't really understand. It goes by I-V-O-L, and that's the Quadratic Interest Rate Volatility and Inflation Hedge ETF. It invests in TIPS and also long options on TIPS to generate more returns. And my understanding was that if rates rose, it should do well, but it hasn't done well, and I don't understand. Thanks so much for helping me make sense of this. Bye-bye. All right, this is the Quadratic Interest Rate Volatility and Inflation Hedge ETF. IVOL is the symbol. And it's been a while. I've actually looked at this before, but honestly, it's been a while, so I can't remember the exact strategy. But from what I remember is, yes, they do hold a lot of tips. And if I look at the portfolio overall, uh, that's their that's their main holding. Uh, but what they do is they use options to basically play upside expectations of inflation. And this worked really well from mid 2020 all the way until inflation expectations started to peak in basically last summer. Uh, and this has been in a downtrend uh, ever since. And um, that's the issue here is that uh, you're going to, it's going to cut both ways that if uh, inflation expectations rise, this will do well uh, compared to tips. And if it falls, then it's not going to do uh, very well. And that's what's happened recently is inflation expectations continue to moderate, not accelerate, but to moderate and come back down. Now, still higher than they were pre-pandemic, but it's coming down. And that's what's uh, that's a drag on this as well as guess what tips are coming down as well. TIP has gone from 130 to 115, uh, which is uh, a big tips uh, ETF. So you have kind of double whammy here. And you once again, you this is a good example of you want to understand what you're buying. Don't just go based on the name too many people just say, Oh, it says growth and income, or it says inflation, or it says this. And that's how it's it. That's that's what I'm investing in. Uh-uh. Just because a fund or an ETF is titled a certain way does not mean that your interpretation of that title is going to manifest in the performance of the particular fund. You have to understand the assets, understand the strategy. Uh, otherwise, you get into you know the situation and you know exposure here. Obviously. Uh, was there was some duration risk, and that's uh, probably the main reason this is down overall. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So, if you're going to call, you want to do it right now at 888 chart. You are listening to Invest Talk. And the market has been interesting. So you'll have important finance and investment questions. And Steve and Justin welcome your calls now. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hello, this is Duncan from New York. You guys are doing an excellent job. I have two questions. Hopefully that you guys can answer it. I recently had stock ticker iRobot. And I also had stock ticker Open Door. They both recently on the news just 
said that iRobot's getting acquired for Amazon and Open Doors getting acquired from Zillow. I was thinking about keeping iRobot because this would be what a cheap way to get into the Amazon stock, kind of into my portfolio. And I just wanted to know what your two cents was, whether or not I should sell or keep it, or should I also sell or keep Open Door that Zillow trying to buy out. Looking forward to your advice and have a great day. Bye. All right. I know iRobot is being acquired by Amazon. You don't want to think of it as a cheap way to buy Amazon. That's it's not really a, a, a good way to think about it. Um, you just want to think of it as, do I want on Amazon or not? Uh, now, Amazon has a lot of headwinds with higher labor costs, higher transportation costs of delivering packages, etc. Um, antitrust is also a worry with with what's happening with Google. Uh, so, and it's in a downtrend. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be buying Amazon here. I think it's um, headed for kind of protracted margin and multiple compression. So, I would take your money on on uh, iRobot and, and move on. Now, Open Door. I don't think it's being acquired. I do remember there was some sort of partnership, if I'm remembering correctly. And this is not. Yeah, yeah, it's a partnership with Zillow. It's a partnership with Zillow. Um, I'd have to look at that partnership, how that would work. But Open Door hasn't really made any money. Uh, continues to lose money, and so I wouldn't be owning that either. So uh, I would just find new ways to deploy that capital into real-world businesses that have good, solid, consistent profits and cash flow. Now let's pivot over to an interesting story, and this is in regards to credit scores and Equifax. And Equifax recently reported that they were reporting inaccurate credit scores to millions of would-be borrowers over about a three-week period. Now, this was from March 17th to April 6th, and they began to alert lenders of the error in May. So, you know, it, it was kind of, it kind of went on noticed for about a month and a half or so, almost two months. And this could have resulted in a couple of things. One would be just outright denial of the loan. Another could be higher interest rates. And the way that lenders look at creditors or uh, credits is by taking the average of three credit scores and create a combined score. So the odds are pretty good that this difference, it was roughly 20 points typically, uh, would not cause somebody to be denied completely, but it could have pushed them into a higher interest rate. So if you were applying for a loan around that time, you definitely want to go back to your lender, look at that, whether that's a car loan, whether that's a mortgage loan, whatever it is, and see if the Equifax score that was reported was, was wrong. And if that indeed impacted your overall interest rate. So definitely something uh, to be to consider. Now, what what do you do if going forward? Well, the first thing is you should scrutinize your credit score and look at the different factors. There's a lot of different ways to uh, understand your credit score. Uh, I know banks always, I know I have, multi, I have a couple banks and they both give me my credit score and break down 
where where the, the uh, what the factors are and how they're scored. Uh, and so you should always be doing that. I know there are credit card companies that do that. Uh, you could always use something like Credit Karma, et cetera, that will break down the percentage of your total balances that you're using, late payments, um, uh, length of credit score, et cetera. So you should always look over that and see what maybe looks off. And you can challenge that score by sending a, a message to the company that uh, is reporting something maybe wrong. Um, and each company is required to investigate your claims and then report back to you. So make sure that when you're going to borrow money, especially for a mortgage, that could have a big impact, even a 25 basis point difference in your uh, in your credit score uh, or in your interest rate, excuse me, could mean thousands and thousands of dollars in costs. So make sure you know your credit score is accurate. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And it's official. We're over the 44 million mark as of last week. Thanks to you. And you can get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you leave your message or leave a question with your, uh, with your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.